I know a number of the themes that we just sang about will be included in his message tonight. And so where our hearts are already prepared, thank you, David, for being willing to do this and looking forward to what you have to share from God's word with us tonight. Thank you, Pastor. I suppose the only difference between uh, uh, Zoom and this is the spit factor, so hopefully that doesn't come into play. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really uh, appreciate Pastor Mosley. Uh, he's been a friend of our family, and uh, we've gotten together a few times at our place and his place and the ball fields out behind his place. So we've had a good time and uh, obviously loves the Lord and... Uh, and it's been a joy to get to know you. So it's my pleasure to come here this evening. I am here, if you don't know me, I think most would, but uh, my name's David Tubbs. My wife, Kara, is here. She'll be probably in and out at times, uh, caring for young ones. And we have Adeline, Jubal, Jebediah, Kenton, Gideon, Orrin, Millie, Yance, and Jenna, Vive, here as well. And so uh, we'll quiz you later. I could do their birthdays, but it takes me a little bit. But uh, they're all here. I'm glad they could come. Sometimes they can come. Sometimes they can't. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, a common passage we turn to tonight. And uh, I've titled this, Understanding the Great Commission. Understanding the Great Commission. And uh, to be frank, I think sometimes we misunderstand the Great Commission Kids are a part of my life, as, as you've already seen and, and already know, and uh, sometimes there's misunderstanding uh, with kids. We had one even, a couple today that were pretty funny. I always enjoy telling these stories. Uh, actually, right before we left, uh, one of the children said, I, I want a snack, Mom. And so uh, Mom says, well, we've got fig bars here, we've got apples, bananas, and then jokingly she reached over and saw a bag of hot dog rolls from... Uh, the other day we had a little cookout, and she has or hot dog rolls, jokingly, and the kid's like, ooh, hot dog rolls. And uh, there's a little bit of misunderstanding there, and sure enough, not long after that, I saw a couple kids were walking around with hot dog rolls, and uh, it was supposed to be a joke, but uh, apparently that's what they, they desired. Uh, my wife today uh, noticed there was some writing in her Bible during the service, and uh, that's not too uncommon. We underline in our Bibles, and of course, kids are always watching you. And so she's always had a sweet response to it. Instead of getting upset, I remember years ago, I think it was Adeline wrote in her Bible, and she scribbled or, or something, and she just put a note next to it, you know, that this was Adeline, and put a date of when it happened, and responded well. But her response today wasn't quite the same, though. It was funny. Uh, someone wrote her name, and you could tell it was in immature or, or you know, uh, younger handwriting. And I think it's the place where she, they decided to write her name. I mean, you know, you have those pages, uh, marriage, births. Well, unbeknownst, they wrote it on the death page, Kara. <laughs> so it actually was pretty funny. But uh, there was some misunderstanding about what we do in our Bibles. And I, I, I use that to say that I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of our Bibles, even among adults and people that know the Lord. 
And I've been thinking about the Great Commission. I'm part of the missions committee at church and, and just thinking about what we do in missions and all these things. But I think it actually goes far beyond just missions. It's actually the way we do ministry that it really, uh, in, in a church and then even individually, really a lot of what we do stems from this passage. And, and definitely, as you look at Matthew 28, uh, you see that the Great Commission is important to Jesus. So, therefore, if we love Jesus and we follow Jesus, it should be important to us. We should care about it. And as I've already said, it's been misunderstood over the years. And so I think getting a good, sound understanding of it is, is very important. And, and really, as we look at our, our doctrinal statements, as we look at our covenants, the, the, the the, the really our philosophies of ministry, often it's coming from this passage. So we should really get it straight before we, we move on and, 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 and write about it. If I were to boil this down into one statement, it would be this. Jesus wants you to complete his mission. And then it begs the question, well, how do I do that? And I would submit to you, I can complete Christ's mission by a lifelong commitment to these three decisions. So what I'd like to do is actually read through the passage, pray, and then I'll start giving you those decisions that I believe we all need to make. So Matthew 28, verse 16 through 20, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to meet with brothers and sisters in Christ. We meet here on the first day of the week because your Son rose on the first day of the week. We celebrate his resurrection each Sunday, and we're so thankful to open up your powerful word that has been changing us and making us into uh, uh, portraits of Christ. And we ask that we would continue. Make us more and more like your son. Give us encouragement, hope, challenge us, even convict us, Lord, as we study your word tonight. Thank you for the rich blessing we have of being together, of opening your word, and... Uh, being taught by you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first decision we need to make as we complete his mission is uh, recognizing Christ's authority. Recognizing his authority. And I'm pulling that from those verses 16 through 18 there. And I would say this is the foundation for Christ's mission given to his followers. So I'm going to read 16 through 18 there again. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so we have here the people described as being the eleven disciples. That reminds us that one is missing, of course, Judas. And uh, here, the only place in Matthew where this is being stated, that these 11 are here, and uh, that they are now, without that 12th, that one that had betrayed and now is dead. Um, and, and you have these 11 disciples 
together. The word disciple is the idea of being a pupil, and that's going to come up again later, or a follower. And these, of course, it's implied that these were the followers of Jesus. These were the 11. Uh, they became the apostles, these disciples. And they meet Jesus in Galilee. And that's the setting here. Galilee, there's a, there's a mountain. We don't know which mountain. And some people have, have tried to speculate, but we, we simply aren't totally sure. There are possibilities that, uh, of places they are, but we don't know for sure. But this is in uh, response to what Jesus had already directed them at the end of verse 16. It says that if you look back at verse 7, he is say, uh, relaying a message to his disciples. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And then in verse 10, you see it come up again. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And uh, at some point, uh, the, the idea of that mountain must have been communicated as well. And so they come here and meet him on the mountain. Now, some have speculated that there is actually more that met with him on this mountain. They would go to 1 Corinthians 15. Remember where it says over 500 met with him at once and some were still living, but some had passed away. And uh, some have speculated. And, and what I would say to that, it's possible, but the text here doesn't say that. It just references the 11. So I think we're safe with staying with the 11. I think that's a possibility uh, or plausible, but uh, I don't think that the text determines that. And I think that becomes important in a little bit. And uh, that would be the reaction that we see takes place. Notice that the reaction is twofold. They worship Jesus. And uh, it's interesting, this is the second time it says they worship Jesus. Verse 9, it says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And uh, this is speaking of his disciples. Uh, actually, this is speaking of uh, uh, the women. Sorry, I apologize. And they worshipped him and gave him reverence and uh, paid homage to him. And it's interesting, the Bible is very clear that worship is only supposed to be given to God. And so here we come again uh, at this point in Galilee on this mountain. They come together before Jesus, and it says they worship him. But then it also says, but some doubt it. Now, some people would argue, oh, there was probably 500 here, and there might have been more. And maybe some of their response was the doubt, but I don't think the text allows that. It doesn't say that there were others there. Now, now, is it possible there were? And was it possible that some of them doubted? Yes, but if you look at the text, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So the, the, the important thing about that is that we still have disciples struggling, working through this. And, and why is that so hard for us to accept? It really shouldn't be. Because really, the, the life of faith is difficult at times. And we're going to see some of these people struggling further. Uh, remember, I, I really appreciate when, in Scripture, they include the faults of, of, of godly men. Because it reminds us that really the hero of Scripture is God himself and his son, Jesus Christ. And, and, and so I even think in the New Testament, remember while Paul talks about Peter and how he withstood him to his face? I even think of Paul and Barnabas in Acts uh, chapter uh, 15, where they are um, at odds with each other. And then it ends up them going on two missionary journeys in Acts chapter 16. And so you have 
imperfect people doing the work of God. And, and so it is, is you have these people, this 11 people that have been around them for about three years, have been face-to-face, ha, are, are still associating with them even after uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection. This is after the resurrection. They've met with them in the room, and some of them are still struggling. And, and you say, well, the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. But understand this, people still struggle... We're still sinners, and the Holy Spirit definitely works in a great aid and help and our teacher, our comforter, our guide, but we still struggle. And so you have these 11. They come. They're standing right before Jesus. It's clear that it's Jesus, but some are still doubting. Remember, Thomas doubted, but here we even have uh, some others doubting as well. Jesus then makes this statement. And to me, this statement would have been assuring, encouraging, and uh, I'm sure it was to them. He's going to say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And just notice those descriptions. He says, all authority. That's one description. And then he uses, in heaven and in earth. And I believe by communicating this, that he's communicating that the extent is complete, entire, all authority that is even possible is now given to me. And then it's described as, as being have given. And uh, that begs the question, well, who, give it, who gave it to you? And I think the, the, the logical answer is it's given by the Father. And the timing, I think, is what is important as well. Jesus is saying this after the death, burial, and resurrection. He is now saying, all authority has been given to me. And the, 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 the timing, I believe, is extremely important. Uh, I'd like to turn back to Matthew chapter 4. And the third temptation of Jesus is when the devil takes him up on a mountain. Notice what it says in verse 8. Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now notice how Jesus responds. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now we all know that the devil is the father of lies and, and could be lying. Uh, he lies all the time. But it's interesting that Jesus is not challenging him based upon the truth of what he is saying. And what I would argue is this, that because of sin and, and the way that, that, that God worked, that when man chose to sin, to some degree, uh, the devil has taken some charge of, of the earth. And so he is the father of this world in some ways. Um, uh, remember that uh, all the nations, uh, to some degree, had... A demonic influence and yet God chose one nation out of them the nation of Israel as his nation and through that he's going to bring a redeemer to uh, redeem the world and it's interesting here he makes an offer and I would argue that to some degree this is a legitimate offer of course he's trying to corrupt the whole plan of redemption he's trying to ruin Jesus the plan of God and he's saying you worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms we can go about it the easy way no cross no, tempt, or, or, or no going through the garden, the anguish, the, the, the turmoil, the suffering, all that. Let's bypass that. You just worship me. 
you know, do that. And of course, Jesus could not do that and would not do that. And he responds with a wonderful statement. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, which is also interesting because that connects with our passage because what did the disciples do to Jesus? They worshiped him. So in the same book, we're seeing these wonderful truths and supports of the deity of Christ. And so what happens, I believe, at the death, burial, and resurrection is he has redeemed, he has bought back, he has purchased back the rights to everything. Now, they were rightfully his, wrongfully, uh, in a sense, taken. And he has now bought it back. He has redeemed. He has ransomed it back. And now all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me, and he's laying claim to it. And we're going to see that come to fruition someday and, and see it in, 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 with our own eyes. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. And so he makes this wonderful statement. He has authority to say this. And this is the backbone of what he's going to command us to do. And, and notice what it says there, just the next two words in verse 19. Go, therefore. Because of this, because I have all authority, because I have purchased it with my blood, and I didn't stay dead, I wasn't left in the ground buried, I rose from the dead, I now have all authority in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. And so this is the backbone of the Great Commission. And uh, this authority is, I believe, so important to understand as we do even the Great Commission. Sometimes I have to give instructions to children through children. And uh, any parent has to do this. Anybody working with kids, eventually, at some point, you have to give instructions to kids through kids. And it's always interesting. Because there's always kind of like a play on words or a change of things. And so someone might be throwing a ball up against the wall that they shouldn't, for instance. And I might say to one child, tell them to stop. Well, you know that's not going to go anywhere. Because that child thinks, well, what right does he have to say stop? And I like throwing the ball up against the wall. So normally you have to modify it and say, say, daddy says stop. Well, all of a sudden now, there's a lot of weight to that statement. There's potential consequences if that is disobeyed, but that authority communicates something. And I use that as a simple, minor way to communicate that what Jesus is going to communicate has authority behind it. And that does some wonderful things for us. Some we might think nicer than others. So why is that important? It creates a sense of legality, in a sense, in what we do with the Great Commission. You say, well, what if my government tells me not to share the gospel? Well, hopefully, we don't find ourselves in a position like that, but we could all see ourselves in that someday. And definitely that happens all over the world. And I'm not saying throw caution to the wind and be foolish. Use wisdom, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. But if our government says not to do something, who has the greater authority? God does. And so in regards to, I'm specifically talking about the Great Commission, if they say don't share the gospel, certainly you're going to have to be creative and wise and, and maybe uh, very careful. And, and, uh, but there is a responsibility that we serve a greater power there is a greater authority, no matter how. I don't care if it's the president or the pope. We have a greater authority, and it's Jesus Christ. 
And so when he says us to do the Great Commission, well, we better do it. There's a, a, in a sense, a legality. Even laws of social interaction. I remember reading a book one time, and they said it's, it's kind of not a, a good idea to uh, bring up your faith in social conversations. And it was not a, a Christian book. It was a secular book. It had a lot of good uh, insight into conversation. But even if it's not socially acceptable, it's really too bad. And certainly we should be careful. We should strive not to be uh, offensive in our manner. But even if there is a social law that says you don't share your faith, Jesus has authority over heaven and earth, and he said, go. So we need to go. Jesus' authority communicates also a sense of responsibility, a responsibility to do the Great Commission. And can I say even this? If Jesus said, I have authority over heaven and earth, go do this, do you think Jesus is going to keep, uh, hold us accountable to that? I, I, I dare say he will. If every idle word will be judged, certainly this will be judged. And we have a responsibility before God to do the Great Commission. And uh, we need to follow his directives and understand that there could be a loss of reward uh, consequence when it's not followed. And so the Great Commission is extremely important and it starts with this whole basis that Jesus has the authority and he's said to do it. And so we need to recognize that authority that he has declared and is so true. The second decision is this. You can complete Christ's mission by obeying his directives. Now this is the part that I think a lot of people have misunderstood. And in order to understand it, uh, you have to understand a little bit of the way that it's written. I'm going to pull this from verses 19 and 20, leaving the last statement off. That's our last decision. And uh, I would say this is the substance of Christ's directions for his mission for his followers to follow. This is the substance. This is what we do. So the authority is what it's based upon, this, this foundation. We build off of this, and this is the, the specifics of what we do. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. As we look at that, and as you break it down in the original language, we find that there's one verb. There's one verb and three participles. A participle is used to, it's like a verbal adjective. It helps describe, in a sense, the verb. And so that one verb becomes actually pretty important, and I would argue is the main emphasis of what's being communicated. The question is, which word is it? And as you look at it, I'll, I'll list the four options. You have go, you have make disciples, you have baptizing, and then you have teaching in verse 20. And the answer is, number two, making disciples. That's the verb. That's the emphasis. And we've already discussed a little bit what a disciple is. It's a follower. Um, it's a pupil. And I would argue from the context, it doesn't say a disciple of Christ, but we're talking about disciples of Jesus Christ. And so you have this one verbal command, and then you have these three participles. 
And these followers are described as being of all nations. This is the focus. Jesus Christ wants followers of Christ from all the nations. From all sorts of people. Now, if you know Matthew, you know it's a very Jewish-flavored book. Uh, It has a lot of quotations from the Old Testament. It's written by Matthew. I would argue that Matthew and James are the earliest books written in the New Testament and have a strong Jewish flavor to them. And the reason I believe that is I believe the church was Jewish. In fact, it was mostly Jewish. And, And also, I think it's going to be used apologetically as well. Um, with the Jewish nation, but there's also a lot said about the church in Matthew as well. Uh, For instance, I will build my church, church discipline, the Great Commission here, and so a lot even described about church here, but the church was Jewish. And so it has this Jewish flavor, so now take on that. At the very end, he says, go make followers of all nations. You know your Bibles well enough to, to say that, you know, most stout Jews would be, hmm? Gentiles? You mean Jews in all the nations. And, and re- remember, that's kind of what they thought for a little bit, right? Or proselytes, you know. You come over to the Jewish faith and then we'll accept you. But uh, no, as we see in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius and his family and friends, nope, we mean all nations. Followers of Christ from all nations. This is the focus. And... If we lose sight of this, this will distract and hurt, I believe, what we do in ministry through our churches, even our own personal ministry, and I'll explain why. But let's look at the participles as we explain it. It says, go therefore. Now, I think it would be argued from just this the, the statement of going. What are you going with? Because he's walking through this process. And I believe the idea is that you're going with the gospel. They're going with this knowledge of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? That he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead three days later. That's 1 Corinthians 15. Describe the gospel, right? You're going with that good news of Jesus, that he did this on behalf of our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. They're going with this message about Jesus. And the hope is that people would then, and we know that it would, and it has, accept that message and put their faith in Jesus Christ and receive salvation and become a follower of Jesus. So they're going with the gospel. And this is where it becomes important. That if we make the gospel the end, then we have a severe problem. I never want to um, put down evangelism. We, we need more of that. We need more of it in our own lives. We're probably convicted about it in our devotions throughout our life. We need to share the gospel more. Never want to go against that. But do you understand that is not the end goal? The end goal is making followers of Jesus Christ. We go with the gospel, but we don't stop there. Notice what it says next. Make disciples. Then the next, um, uh, the next uh, word there is baptizing. Participle. The next participle. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a baptizing of believers. 
And I would argue that again from Scripture and our knowledge of Scripture. These are people that have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, from Acts 2, remember in Acts 8, Acts 10, um, uh, Acts 16, they believe and then they are baptized. And I don't think that we really struggle with this, but there have been times in church history where, uh, for instance, they would like kidnap Jewish babies, baptize them, and then give them back, thinking they were doing conversion. And I'm sure it's happened uh, in other places and crazier things have happened. But that, that's not what we're talking about, right? Someone comes to faith in Christ and they're baptized. And that baptism is pretty important. How do I know it's pretty important? Well, Jesus talks about it and includes it in the Great Commission. Baptism is pretty important. The word baptizo implies immersion. Um, so we're talking about immersion here. In fact, that's a practice throughout the New Testament. You have descriptions of people going down into the water. Uh, so baptism, important. The way, uh, actually important and very clear in Scripture. In fact, the, the truth that it's illustrating is a good argument for baptism by immersion. You're going down into the water, coming out, dead to sin, raised to walk in newness of life. Right? And another interesting thing about this part, this baptism, is it supports the Trinity. Know what it, notice what it says there, baptizing them in the name. You have the article there, the. You have name singular, the name singular of the Father, article singular, fa single Father, the Son, article again, the, that's there, uh, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all of it, very specific, and yet it's under one name. We see one God and the three persons of the Trinity, uh, all described in this wonderful picture of baptism. And of course, uh, this is part of and included in the Great Commission. And so it's actually pretty important. And yet, how often you'll even read people that have great ministries, um, love the Lord, don't argue that at all, and uh, perhaps different circles than we would be in, but often writing commentaries, you'll even read them, and they come to this passage and say, yeah, it was clearly by immersion, but, but you know, this is all right here, and this is all right here. And you're like, no, that's not what the Bible says. And so it's pretty important, and, and, and an important part of this understanding of actually making disciples. And then there's this third part, this third... Um, Boy, I keep forgetting that word. I use it all the time. Third participle. There we go. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this idea of teaching. Now, notice that this is a different word than make disciples. And the, way, the reason I point this out is in, in the King James, it has teach all nations and then teaching them all things. And the King James does really good on some things. And then other things I wish they would translate a little different. And so I actually think this one's important to recognize. They really should have used a different word because they are different words. Two different words. And uh, it's, it's make followers or make disciples. And then here this teaching. This is the classic word, didasco, for teaching. And uh, teaching them all things. And, and really, ver uh, some versions of the Bible, I mean, really all versions probably could make this mistake at times. So I'm not trying to pick on that. But really here, it needs to be make disciples, make followers, and then teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And uh, this logically leads actually to the continuing of this process. 
So if you're teaching them all things that Christ has commanded, and it's this idea of keeping or guarding them, uh, uh, translates there in ESV, observing them, you're observing all that Christ taught and did, all that he commanded, and remember, he connects himself back to the Old Testament, so it really includes the whole Old Testament too, the whole teaching of the faith. Two things it, it, it teaches us. First of all, we never make it in the sense of we're never completed in this process. We're all growing in our following of Jesus Christ, each one of us. That's important because a lot of discipleship programs are only 12 weeks. And then I'm discipled. And then I'm done. I graduated. No. The other thing it, it, it tells us is, is what I just said. This, this is a repeating process. Because as you disciple... Or, sorry, as you are being discipled and you're following the commands of Jesus Christ, you realize that at the end of Matthew there's this command that I'm supposed to make disciples. And you go out there and make disciples. And that person is being taught all the things of Christ. And they realize that at the end of Matthew 28, there's a statement that says, Go and make disciples. And they think, well, I want to obey Christ, so I need to go make disciples. And you see, it keeps reproducing. And that's the way this great commission is to work. These are the directives of it. The focus is making disciples. We go with the gospel. When they accept it, we baptize them. And in and, and, and really, New Testament teaching, when you were baptized, you were then added into the church. And then you're taught all things that Christ commanded are then therefore following them. And that's such an important part I believe, of fulfilling the Great Commission. We have apple trees at home, and I have found that they are like the bottom of the food chain. I mean, everything goes for apple trees. Deer, bugs, I mean, you know, bear, porcupines, oh, they're the worst. And so apple trees take constant care all year round. It might be fertilizer. It might be checking your soil. It might be pruning in the winter, um, keeping animals at bay, fencing, wrapping them. It's just like they just take constant care. And I think that's probably a better picture of what really the Great Commission is supposed to look like. This constant growing pruning uh, idea of, of, of developing growth. And really that's what our goal is. So that's really going to affect some things. When making disciples is the process, we have a lifelong focus. It's not about necessarily numbers of, of, of how many people have received the gospel. I'm not saying that that's necessarily, I'm not really, really commenting too much on that. But that's not it. That's, that's not the completion of it. Uh, it's a process. Um, we must go with the gospel near and far and we do that with evangelism, but that's not the end. It'd be almost like me saying to my child, a child comes to me and says, Daddy, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. And we go into my room, and I praise God, I lead him to the Lord, and he's super happy, has a wonderful evening, goes down. He comes, comes out of his bedroom the next day, and his suitcases are packed. And uh, uh, let's say he's eight years old. Well, son... There you go. You accepted Christ as your Savior? Time to move on. And that's what we often do. 
And that's why missions really needs to be local church oriented. This great commission screams local church. Because that's where baptizing is supposed to be. That's where the evangelizers are going out of. And that's where at least the center of the teaching, of course it goes into families, and it's, it's not just necessarily in that group, but, but the teaching is stemming out from there. Local church is so important for the Great Commission. This tells us that baptism is important. I'm sad to hear uh, at times how many believers have not chosen to obey the Lord in baptism. Certainly it does not save you, but it definitely is commanded and very important. The end goal is a follower who is being taught all the lessons of Christ, and it takes place in many formats and ways, and I would argue that it starts here at church, but it definitely takes place in the home. Hopefully we're discipling our home with child-rearing, family devotions. You know, one of the greatest ways my dad discipled me is in the woods hunting. That's, That's probably why it has a soft place in my heart. And I want to do the, uh, similar things with my kids. And I could see that happening in various, like with cars, working on cars, or, 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 or building, building something. But where a believer interacts with believer, and, in it, and, and this sharpening, iron sharpening iron relationships, developing them, making them to more, look more like Jesus Christ. That's the Great Commission. You know, it can take place in Bible studies. It can take place at softball, over coffee, and especially over pie. It should always take place over pie. It's not a measurable 12-step process. And, and certainly there's a lot of discipleship books that can be helpful, but we can't, we can't get our mindset on it's, it's, it's this 12 weeks and we're done. Or I've been discipled, now I can move on. No, no, no. And then we need to continue on and encourage others that are being discipled to continue on. For sake of time, I need to hurry through this last part. But it says there in verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I would argue here that the third decision we need to make is remembering his presence. And it's described in a couple ways. It's described as, I am with you always. And then it gives an end time which is actually very encouraging, to the end of the age. And, and when you look at that and put that into the theology taught by the New Testament, you understand that we are with the Savior after that. Seeing, hearing, walking with. And so here he communicates his presence as being with us always. And why say this? Because it's contrary to our human senses. Jesus knows in a little bit these disciples are not going to see him. They're not going to be able to reach out and touch him. They're not going to hear him anymore. But Jesus is communicating, I am going to be with you. And, and specifically, it's tied to this great commission But I don't think you could argue and say it's just as we do the Great Commission. He says, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And certainly he is. There's much more we could look at there, but for sake of time, I think I'm going to move on and and just talk about why I think this is so important. Why is it important that he communicated this to his followers, to his disciples? Because, again, it's contrary to our senses. How often we feel alone. Or or we wonder where God is. And the truth is, he has said, I am with you. 
And uh, we live by faith, not by sight. It's comforting because guess what? Doing the Great Commission can be scary. And you would say, well, it's not that scary for us, but it can be. For instance, sharing the gospel with someone who you wonder if they're going to receive it. And if you share the gospel enough, sooner or later, you're going to get somebody that treats you a little nasty, snippety at at least. And then, of course, we could uh, trace story after story of believers around the world that when they share the gospel, they're putting their life on the line. What a comfort to know Jesus is with you. How about this? Sharing the or doing the Great Commission can be discouraging sometimes. Because just like with those 11, some worshipped, but some were doubting, you're going to have that happen. And you're going to have people that are going to turn away and apostatize. And and you're going to have people make awful decisions. And even though they're believers, they really hurt the work of Christ. And so it can be discouraging. And to me, I think it's very encouraging to know Jesus is here. He is with us. It's also extremely helpful. We need his help as we do his work. And realizing I'm not alone, I think prayer is one of the greatest ways that we experience that. We pray in Jesus' name. And uh, Jesus is is working through the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is is described in Romans. And uh, he's the one who gave me the work to do, and he's with me as we do it. The Great Commission is extremely important. And but I believe we really need to focus on these, these decisions we need to make. And those decisions, again, are this. We need to recognize his authority. We need to obey his directives. And then we need to remember that he is with us as we do this. And uh, it's such a, a foundational part of, of what we do as churches, of our theology. And uh, really, we need to understand the process and uh, how to continue in that process. Uh, Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how challenging it is to us. We we love it, and uh, it's like honey to us. And I pray, Father, you would help us to understand it more and to live it out more consistently and help us to make disciples. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.